When I look in the mirror, I don't see wrinkles. When I look in the mirror, I see hair on my head, not my shoulder. And hello, 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 and this is Generation Bold, and this is the Fountain of Truth about aging. But today, today we're going to be dealing with a topic that doesn't have to do with aging alone. It has to do with sleep, and that is something that every one of us does all over the world at least once a day. But in the time of a pandemic, we are having some problems with sleep. Even those of us who are the sturdiest, when it comes to our sleep habits, are wondering, what's going to happen next in my life? And that can keep you up. Uh, And I'm so much looking forward to this because uh, our guest, Dr. Jennifer Martin, serves on the board of directors of the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. If you want to look them up, they're the AASM. And she's a board-certified in behavioral sleep medicine by the American Board of Sleep Medicine. And she's a professor over at David Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA, and we have had several professors, several researchers from that school before, and it's always so illuminating because they're on top of their game. So today, we are going to talk to all of you who may not be on top of your game anymore because you're losing sleep. We will be speaking about insomnia. We'll be speaking about what you can do about it, the various types, and whether or not everything will be a new normal when it comes to sleep. Or you'll get back to the old normal after the worries over this pandemic are over. These are the questions we're asking ourselves, but I have the privilege of asking them of Dr. Martin. So thank you for being with me today. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, let's talk about this. You say that there are several actual types of insomnia. It's not just one monolith that we all experience the same way. Can you unpack that a little bit for us? Sure. We really think about um, two main types of insomnia. One is short-term or acute insomnia. This is the kind of sleep disturbance we might have uh, when something stressful is going on in our life. I always remember the example of not sleeping well the night before we signed the mortgage paperwork on our first house, for example. And we think about this as really um, just a normal human stress reaction. For some people, though, that Uh, Sleep disturbance doesn't go away even when the stressful situation is resolved. So what can happen is that poor sleep can take on a life of its own, and we call that chronic insomnia. Chronic insomnia is a clinical disorder that needs specific attention. If it goes on for three months or longer, happens at least three times a week, and affects how a person feels or functions during the day. So those are really the two main types of insomnia that we think about conceptually is acute or short-term insomnia and chronic insomnia, which represents a clinical disorder. Okay, so let's talk about what I think is on everyone's mind. Obviously, a pandemic, having lost your job because of it or uh, have been suspended because of it, is in, in, in a way we'll call that environmental. Something happened in your situation. But... If it goes on for a long enough time, could that become chronic insomnia? In other words, if if you're thinking about your worries, uh, even though they are real and they are not internal, they come from external stress, but it continues because the pandemic continues, uh, are we going to see more of these chronic conditions or will we snap back to the old normal? Well, that's a very good question. I don't think we know yet what's going to happen to people's sleep over the long run. Um, 
it's pretty common that people who go on to develop chronic insomnia problems, um, uh, something really kind of interesting happens. Some people have a stressful event. When it goes away, their sleep goes back to normal. And, and, uh, and these tend to be people who have generally good sleep in the first place and have habits and routines that support getting back on track quickly. But some people, the insomnia or the poor sleep actually takes on a life of its own, and they find themselves getting into bed and having thoughts like, I wonder how hard it's going to be tonight. I wonder if I'm going to wake up at 3 o'clock again. If I, get, if I don't get a good night's sleep tonight, I just don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow. I mean, this will be the fourth night in a row. And those thoughts and that approach to sleep actually perpetuate the problem even after the, uh, the stressful situation resolves. So I think as many of us think past the pandemic, uh, this is one of the big questions we have. Will people get their sleep back on track um, as their routines and habits get back to normal? Or will this be a longstanding issue uh, for a lot of folks who are struggling now? Yeah, you know, I, I, I tend to tell true stories about my own self on my shows and in my blog. And I, I want to make people feel better by telling them a bad story for a second and then and then I want to uh, ask you what we can do about this kind of thing. So my house had a flood, and I didn't live there for a while. But I had another place, and there was a tenant who wasn't paying rent. They wouldn't move. And the court kept expanding this and expanding this. And I was basically homeless. This is true. So I was living in a residential hotel. And my sleep habits, as you say, Dr. Martin, were very good up until that time. And then I lost a lot of sleep. And it, and it went for six months. It went for six months. And I wondered, what would happen? Well, because I originally had good sleep habits, exercise habits, nutrition, and so on, it all worked out. And I want people to know that it is possible to go through several months of just being displaced, we'll say. And yet, you can snap back. Now, let's go to, to that issue. And you mentioned, if you have good sleep habits to begin with. What are good sleep habits? Let, let's take the next part of our segment a couple of minutes to just lay that out before we take our break and talk about what we could do if we don't have good sleep habits. What are good sleep habits? Good sleep habits center uh, on just a few things, which I hesitate to call simple because I don't think they're simple. Um, one of the most important sleep habits is um, figuring out how much you need to sleep and spending the right amount of time in bed. So if you're the kind of person uh, who needs to sleep about seven and a half hours at night, you should spend about seven and a half, maybe eight hours in bed. Um, the way you know if you're spending the right amount of time in bed is by thinking about how you feel during the day. You should feel, you know, pretty alert. You should be able to stay awake throughout the day. The second thing is about timing. So going to bed and getting up around the same time each day. Now, we can be a little bit flexible about this. You know, I, I often use the metaphor, it's okay to have cake on your birthday, but you can't have cake every day. That would be bad nutrition. So uh -oh. it's okay to make exceptions. can't? <laughs> That's too bad. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Maybe I shouldn't make assumptions. Um, it's okay to deviate from your schedule occasionally, but most people sleep best if their schedule only varies less than an hour from day to day. So if you typically get up at 6 on the weekends, maybe you should be up by 7 on the weekends, or excuse me, on the weekdays, uh, and then you should be up by 7 on the weekends. Um, if you typically go to bed 
you know, at 10, 30, 11, you know, you should think about, you know, a range of within an hour there as well. Uh, that's how most people sleep best, and those are the really important sleep habits. There are a few other well, things can... that get in the way. Go ahead. Now, I want to talk about the things that get in the way, and we're going to do that right after our break. I want mm-hmm. to talk very much about the things that get in the way. And, of course, the things that we can do so they don't and they stop getting in the way. Because, as you said, it isn't so simple. Uh, and it's getting less and less simple in a time when we have not just stress, but the worry about worrying, what's going to happen, is really the big issue for most people's stress. They just don't know. It's more than they know something bad is going to happen. That they can cope with. It's the unknown that most of us are stressed over. And we will be right back to see if we can put some knowns back into our sleep habits. Don't you go anywhere. You may think that I'm full of it. That doesn't bother me, not even a bit, cause I am happy, and I freely admit, I'm inappropriate, for my age, da 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 da, da 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 da, that I'm full of it, that doesn't bother me, not even a bit, cause I am happy, and I freely admit, I'm inappropriate, for my age. And hello, hello, hello. This is Adrian Berg. I am so happy to talk with all of you. And I'm just wondering if you're getting out there. Uh, things are slowly, slowly moving. I'm hearing a little bit more from my friends who are maybe going to the beach or finally getting to a restaurant. What's happening with you? Well, one of those things that may be happening to all of you is an issue with sleep. And that is why I, in my blog, Aging for Beginners, I did have my latest article, and it's called ZZZ. This article could put you to sleep, and that's a good thing because sleep is so important. And today on my podcast, we are speaking with a true uh, sleep expert, Dr. Jennifer Martin, serving on the board of directors of the American Academy of Sleep Medicine and uh, a professor at a school you know, David Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA, because we have many guests from that uh, from that university. Now, you don't know this, perhaps, maybe you, you did not get the memo, but June 22nd in the past was Insomnia Awareness Night, and the American Academy of Sleep Medicine, the Society of Behavioral Sleep Medicine, the American Alliance for Healthy Sleep, really made an effort to focus on chronic insomnia because of what's going on with this pandemic. And uh, I'm hoping to put together this podcast and our article and get it to you through our newsletter as well as through all of its disseminators because although June 22nd was insomnia night, many of us are going to have many insomnia nights and days. So, so Dr. Martin, right before we took our little break, uh, you had said, you know, these are the things we do for successful sleep, but there are barriers. And that's what I would like to, to talk about right now. What barriers oh, is the nation actually experiencing right now or what might be what might we experience individually well i always like to remind myself that we have a number of industries that compete with our sleep um it's not an accident uh that when you're watching a uh, a television show on a streaming video service that it automatically goes to the next episode 
So taking good care of your sleep is not easy. Um, there's all kinds of energy drinks out there, and, and, and again, companies making money trying to keep us awake and in the technology space keep our eyes on a screen. So one of the things that I think we have to be really mindful of, I kind of think about them as threats to healthy sleep, is how we interact with the technology around us. Uh, during the pandemic, one of the things that I think has been a real challenge for folks is checking the news, looking at social media, doing all of those things um, just before they get into bed. Uh, so interacting with those kinds of messages, and it can make it really hard for folks to separate from the stress and anxieties of the day and allow their mind and their body to wind down and fall asleep easily. Um, you know, I, I very, heard, some people have stopped listening to the news because it is so stressful, and imagine listening to it right before you're trying to fall asleep. That's right. So that's a, a really big one. Um, as we were talking about earlier, you know, the, the scaffolding around our sleep routines have kind of fallen apart. So if you're no longer working or if you, you know, used to have a routine of getting up in the morning and going and, you know, going to a, a gym for exercise, those, um, those activities that stabilize healthy sleep routines have largely disappeared. Uh, and I think as people are starting to go back to some of these things, um, it might feel good to go back to the routine, but I think there's an added layer of anxiety as well. Um, I live in California, and we're now experiencing um, closing of things that were open just a few weeks ago, and I think it's, uh, you know, we're going to be going back and forth in terms of what activities are available to us for a while. Um, another you know, thing that we know has happened, go ahead. Before we go on, I just want to talk to, uh, talk to you about that as well. Uh, you're right, because people are going back, they're starting to travel, they're starting to have meetings, they're starting to go to the restaurants, and they're worried. They're worried, mm -hmm. then, is somebody else wearing a mask? Uh, if they're not wearing a mask, should we say something? I mean, it, mm -hmm. these are the chronic sleep issues are not stopping just because, maybe when we have the vaccine and we really think it's over and it's out of mind, but this is not, not stopping. And I feel and actually fear that maybe some people who are doing okay with their sleeping might start to not be doing okay, and they should be mindful and aware. What are some more things that they should be aware of other than technology and news and self-aggravation? Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Well, and I want to say that in general, the, 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 the rule of thumb should be to keep all of that out of the bedroom, so to speak. So in the last hour or two before sleep, we really want to create a mindset where we can wind down and get some good rest. Um, another thing that we've seen during the pandemic, actually, is people use, uh, consuming more alcohol. Alcohol is really the enemy of sleep, um, and it tricks us because when people drink alcohol, they tend to feel relaxed uh, and, in some cases, even sleepy. But what happens is alcohol is metabolized is that it wakes you right back up again. So uh, the enzymes that our body uses to metabolize alcohol disrupt our sleep. So that's another thing that we've seen more during the pandemic. And again, I think those of us who are, you know, work in mental health are concerned about um, the long-term habits that might come with regular consumption of alcohol uh, in current times. First, no cake every day. Now the alcohol is gone. I know. I'm taking all the fun. Yeah. No, I'm taking all the fun out of it, huh? Uh, and I actually, you're taking all the fun out of the pandemic, yes. So exactly, anyway. right? Anyway, yeah. 
<laughs> but I, I want to tell you a funny story, and then I want to talk to you about the fact that you are a doctor. There are doctors uh, that have to do with helping you sleep, and that's one of the main points you want to bring out. We're not alone. But I, I will tell you something just on your topic that I find amusing, but it's not so funny. For Mother's Day, I wanted to have a smartwatch. Why? Because my biohacker friends, who are very young, told me that they're watching their sleep. And when I buy a, a smartwatch, it must measure my sleep. And I'll wear it when I'm asleep, and it'll tell me how deep my sleep is and so on. So meanwhile, Dr. Martin, my watch has a little LED light in it. And every time something happens with the sleep, it lights up and wakes me up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Right, and I, you know, I feel like this is one of the biggest modern myths, is that there is a piece of technology that you can take to bed with you that will help you sleep better. That's, that's well, it didn't. It wakes me up. True. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I know. And I can't think, win. I think it, it does speak to people's genuine curiosity about sleep, though. Um, it's it's a bit of a, a mystery, and um, and and I think as people are starting to understand the health benefits of sleep, um, that's created an environment where people want to understand it better. Uh, so there are all kinds of devices and apps and things like that that you can use to measure your sleep. But the true measure of good sleep is how you feel during the day. And how you feel when you wake up in the morning, too. I think that, that, that I could tell how the sleep has gone without the watch, which I now take off before I go to sleep. Right. Uh, <laughs> it's great for telling me how many miles I walked. It's not so great right. for telling me how good my sleep was. Well, when we come back, I want to uh, uh, focus on what we can do from a medical point of view, what types of doctors are around. We have talked in the past about getting a sleep study. Uh, of course, we've talked many times about sleep apnea, but this is different. The idea of insomnia or the inability to sleep is removed from the issues of of sleep apnea, although you can have both. When we come back, I want to talk about the, what we can ask of a doctor. Who do we go to? Uh, is it a mental issue? Is it an emotional issue? Is it a physical issue? And who's in charge when it comes to the medical pro- protocols for us? Don't you guys go anywhere. We'll be right back. You may think that I'm full of it, but that doesn't bother me, not even a bit, because I am happy. And this is Generation Bold, the fountain of truth, the fountain of truth about aging. I have two very important uh, websites to send you to. One of them, if you go to, you won't need the other. Uh, One of them is our radio show website, generationboldradio.com. Very easy, generationboldradio.com. The other is my website, adrianberg.com, A-D-R-I-A-N-E, berg, B-E-R-G.com. In both cases, you can go ahead and give me your email address. Everything we do is entirely free of charge. And what you will find is that you will get a Monday newsletter telling you the blog or the podcast. Uh, I will even have a little video 
of some of the most important parts of our podcast. It has three resources that I pick out every single week that I think is very important for successful aging, usually free, that you'd never know about uh, or under the radar, and a lot of other information on a weekly basis. But most importantly, there are conferences all over the place that are now Zoom. You don't even have to go, but they are free, and they really can enhance your life. So if you go to either one of these, for example, generationboldradio.com or adrianberg.com, let me have your email. I'll inform you every single Monday of what's going on. I'll give you a quick example. Uh, in October, October uh, 12th through 14th, the geroscientists are gathering for Metabesity 2020. Very detailed information and mostly not available to the public. But I'm directing that conference. And so you're invited. Uh, how would you register free of charge? Well, you'll be able to do that if I know your email address and I can send you an invitation. That's just one of many, many insider conferences on successful aging and good health that we have uh, as a group, as a tribe, as they like to say. Now, one of those things that you'll also notice is we have a lot of great information on our blog, Aging for Beginners, but sometimes I can't fit everything in. And so that extra information will be given to you also in our newsletter. Now, right now, we are talking about a topic that was, co was covered on a latest blog of mine, and that is sleep. Uh, we're speaking to Dr. Jennifer Martin, who uh, serves on the board of the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. Fairly recently in, in June, June 22nd, was Insomnia Awareness Night. But uh, many of us, unfortunately, are aware of insomnia every night. You didn't need a special night for that. It was hosted by the American Academy of Sleep Medicine, Society of Behavioral Sleep Medicine, American Alliance of Healthy Sleep, all of which have websites. And you can go to them, and you will find them on our radio uh, website as well as we post Dr. Martin's uh, interview with us. But I wanted to say, uh, Dr. Martin, that the idea of insomnia and sleep, we're going to be talking about this on a personal level. But the research from your groups estimate that insomnia is associated with 253 million days of lost work every year. That means people just cannot get up and go to work. And more than $100 billion in annual costs due to the indirect health effects of insomnia. So th this is very nationally serious and, of course, individually. So, so let's go. Somebody is having an, an issue with their with their sleep, they're being tortured by it every day, what can they do? What type of doctor would they see? Well, this is, um, this is something that I, um, I'm very passionate about. When, uh, I'm a clinical psychologist, and I focus pretty exclusively on helping people who have chronic insomnia. And when people come to see me, the average length of time that they have been struggling with their sleep is more than 10 years. And this always makes me sad to think that someone has been working on this and trying everything that they can think of, a lot of times spending a lot of money on supplements and herbs and things that, quite frankly, have little scientific evidence to support their use. Um, and they come and see someone like me as a last resort. And I, I wish that people would reach out for help sooner. So I mentioned earlier in your show today that you know, once you've been struggling for three months or more, we consider that a pretty sticky insomnia problem that isn't going to go away on its own. 
a lot of times the best place to start is with a good trusted primary care provider. Um, but it's helpful to know what to ask. The current guidelines um, about how to treat insomnia actually suggest that we should try non-medication approaches before medications, that medications, because of some of the side effects and concerns, should be saved for, you know, kind of a last resort. The best available treatment right now is something called cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. Um, it's usually provided by psychologists. Uh, or other people who do psychotherapies, like someone you might see for anxiety or depression. Um, but there are also some self-guided treatments and some online programs uh, that folks can use if either they don't have access to a person like that um, or if they, you know, again, they want to try uh, a self-guided um, approach before they go see uh, a clinical provider. Uh, another place to start, which is what I usually suggest to people, is with an accredited sleep disorder center. Um, and you mentioned the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. Um, we have a, a website that's a resource for the public called sleepeducation.org. And through that website, you can find an accredited center by looking for, through, for your zip code. And accredited centers often have connections to folks who provide really good insomnia treatment if they don't have someone in-house. Uh, so I think the most important thing is don't suffer alone. Reach out for help. There's very effective treatments. Um, and, you know, I think from the perspective of a person struggling with insomnia, the hardest part is just figuring out uh, where to get the help that you need. Yes, now one of the things we are going to be covering uh, in, a, uh, in an intense of both blog and uh, a podcast will be what Medicare covers and also what Medicaid covers, because very, uh, and I'm a big critic of this, I have to tell you this, Dr. Martin, there's very little prevention, there's very little uh, uh, real resources for lifestyle disorders. Mm -hmm. And I would, yeah, uh, and so I'm, I'm on a campaign to make <laughs> this happen, and I can't make it happen if people don't know what's covered and what isn't covered. So I'm definitely going to be uh, looking at this specifically with regard to sleep, and also the type of services that you just outlined. It's, mm -hmm. it's really, really, really important. Now, let us say, and I'm going to be blunt here, uh, one of the things I know from my geroscientist friends and my pharmaceutical friends is you've got to have a disease or a disorder before you can have a pill uh, or from the FDA or before you can have a Medicare coverage. So what are some of the names that folks uh, who are experts in your field Put to the issue of sleep disorder because the layman will tell you I can't sleep. That's mm -hmm. their problem. They'll tell you they can't sleep. They won't say I have a heart condition. Uh, so what what are some of the names that are under the rubric of other than insomnia, which I think we do know mm -hmm. as layman right. office disorders. Mm -hmm. Well, um, I, I want to start with insomnia because I uh, I mean I guess this is one of our topic, but. But really it is that, you know, three months and it's, it affects how you feel or function during the day. That would mean that you meet diagnostic criteria for a clinical disorder and uh, cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia would be covered by insurance in the same way that other psychotherapy or mental health treatments are covered. So that's a bit of good news that this isn't kind of a special case. One of the challenges, though, when people know they're not sleeping well uh, and is that they, um, 
it's a little bit of a, uh, uh, a fact-finding mission to figure out what sleep disorder they have. So uh, people usually present and say, I can't sleep at night or I'm tired during the day. And then a really good sleep specialist sometimes is the right type of detective to figure out what the diagnosis is. As you mentioned earlier, uh, sleep apnea uh, and insomnia are the two most common sleep disorders um, across age groups, but especially in older folks. And, uh, and so those are the two things that a lot of times when a provider is seeing a patient, they will um, call it an evaluation for one of those two disorders. But there are other sleep disorders that, um, that we might suspect. So one example might be uh, in people who, uh, as they age, are at higher risk for something called REM behavior disorder, uh, which is uh, diagnosed with the laboratory sleep study, and it means that people are actually acting out their dreams. But that's a condition that is less common, and it might take the wise eyes of a specialist to really figure out what it is. Um, so again, I, I, I always advocate for starting with a sleep specialist, getting a referral to someone local to you if that's uh, feasible. And, um, you know, once they take a good history, then they can think about all the possible causes of either poor sleep at night or sleepiness during the day. And before we, we stop our segment and wrap up this particular segment, tell us one more time, what was the website that you sent us all to? Uh, it's called sleepeducation.org. Uh, that is the um, public education um, website for the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. And there are actually quite a lot of good resources there about a variety of sleep disorders people might want to read more about. Well, I certainly do, and we shall be back. Don't you guys go anywhere. We'll be back in just a moment. You may think that I'm full of it, but that doesn't bother me, not even a bit, because I am happy and I freely admit I'm inappropriate for my age. Da 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 da. Da 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 da. You may think that I'm full of it, but that doesn't bother me not even a bit. Cause I am happy and I freely admit I'm inappropriate for my age. Da 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 da. And hello, hello, hello. This is Adrian Berg and this is Generation Bold, the Fountain of Truth about aging. We're going into our sixth year, I think. But this show never ages. There is always so much to discuss. And I'm not even going to give you a big build-up. Just go to generationboldradio.com, give us your email address, get our every Monday newsletter, and you'll know all about our blogs, our conferences. It's always free, and everything is a freebie, even my hints and tips on successful aging. So that's generationboldradio.com and tell your friends. So we are uh, discussing sleep in the time of coronavirus. That is really what we're doing with Dr. Jennifer Martin, uh, serving on the board of the American Academy of Sleep Medicine and also professor over at David Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA. So I, I was talking during the break um, to Dr. Martin about two things that are on my mind because of the pandemic. One, Dr. Martin, is that we are sleeping together uh, with, um, with our spouses, but we used to be separate from them during the day. And if one has a sleep problem, now the other does. I don't know. What's the protocol for that when, when you're in a or, or even grandma? Grandma is now living with us very frequently. And as you mentioned, older adults have different sleep patterns, and we can hear it. 
And that's something that, that wasn't the case when she was able to be by herself, let's say. What's the protocol? What's happening with regard to that so that everybody gets as good sleep as possible? Boy, sleep really is a family matter, isn't it? Um, yep. <laughs> most of us, most of us share uh, a house, if not a bed, with at least one other uh, family member. And um, when one person isn't sleeping well, it definitely affects everyone else. Uh, what I always suggest is an open and honest conversation about it. So if, for example, uh, perhaps your spouse used to get up early in the morning and leave and you got a couple of extra hours of quiet sleep and you're really missing that because now your bed partner isn't getting up and, le and, and leaving but instead tossing and turning in bed in the morning. Um, I think sometimes talking about uh, how important good sleep is to us as individuals with our, our spouses and partners can be uh, an important opening for the conversation. Uh, another thing is, um, you know, that, that sometimes members of couples have different sleep schedules. So one of them might be a bit of a night owl and one of them may love to get up and greet the sun. Um, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, a lot of times that just means that the time, the time of day to have quality time together is not late at night or early in the morning when one of you is feeling sleepy. So I think just an open conversation about these issues is really important. In the case of a family member from a different generation living uh, in the home, I think this can be even more challenging. So you could have teenagers, for example, who yeah. stay up until the wee hours of the morning and then sleep until 10, but then grandma is, wants to go to bed at 8 and she's up at 5 o'clock uh, in the kitchen making coffee. Uh, and again, I always advocate for an open conversation about um, about how we might be able to disrupt each other's sleep a little less and still allow everyone to have the sleep schedule and routine that works for them. Yes, you know, one of the things that I have noticed is that my friends who are younger, uh, as somebody who is an advocate for successful aging, I'm very much an advocate for intergenerational friends. So I do my best. And it isn't easy, by the way, in our culture to have friends of a lot of different ages. You might have acquaintances at work, but friends really of different ages is not the way we roll around here. But what I have noticed is that my friends who are uh, mothers, and in, in my case happens to be mothers, of teenagers are having a much harder time than we are because the kids are home all the time. They are very grumpy. They are not exercising the way they did. They can't sleep. They're up all night. They're using the devices, and they and they feel bad for them. They don't want to curtail the few little things that are making them happy at the moment. So it is very difficult. And when you brought up the idea of teens, uh, it brought to mind my friends. Now, I want to ask you something a little bit more clinical about kids. And that is, is it the same? You mentioned to us from the beginning that even though our sleep may be a little bit disruptive and we may have some insomnia because of the pandemic, that's kind of acute and not chronic. But if we have good sleep habits, we'll kind of come back. Is there a difference with teens? Will teens, because they're in their growth spurt stage, maybe be more disrupted by this episode in their life than older adults? Or do we not know that quite yet? Well, what happens to teenagers actually has to do with their internal biological clock. Um, so uh, as a, a mom of two teenagers during the pandemic myself, I can speak 
not just as a scientist but also as a parent, um, right. that that uh, there's there's two things that I've noticed. One is that my kids, because of their ages, have a natural tendency to be a kind of night owls, to stay up a little later and sleep in a little later than either than they did when they were younger or that um, that adults uh, might might typically do. Um, so there is this internal clock of what we call circadian rhythm tendency to be uh, awake at night and to sleep later in the day. But the other thing that I've noticed, and I have to tell you I've been quite surprised, is that the, the number of hours of sleep that teenagers need is quite long. Um, and I always, you know, patted myself on the back thinking I was a great parent because my kids sleep, you know, pretty routinely between eight and nine hours a night. But without having to get up and go to school in the morning um, and going to bed at a reasonable hour, although later than the adults in the house, um, you know, they're sleeping more like nine or ten hours a night. And, uh, and I think that when we, when we think back to, uh, you know, week, school week routines, a lot of kids actually only get somewhere between uh, six or six and a half hours a night during the week. Uh, so they're really shorting themselves maybe three or four hours a night. And we all know how we would feel if we only slept, uh, you know, three or four hours less than we need. So I think there really have been two surprises. One is, um, you know, in a lot of families where the kids used to get up early with everyone else, they're now sleeping through half of the day. Uh, and the other is that kids just need, kids including adolescents, still need a lot of sleep. Uh, so that can present some challenges. And I also you know, think education. you know. I'm just going mm-hmm. to call for education on this because I think that it, very yeah. much like we, we, we're becoming little experts about nutrition, all of us, becoming little mm-hmm. exercise experts and fitness coaches for our own life. We ought to know a lot more about sleep. We really should. Uh, we should know more about it in our bi- in our basic biology courses, in our basic uh, magazines that we're reading online and offline. And I know that your your organizations do that. We're going to give the, the website one more time, but it would be nice to know that there's nothing wrong with our son because he's mm-hmm. sleeping an extra two or three hours if he's a teen. I mean, this this is yeah. helpful. Or that grandma might be talking in her sleep because she has uh, a, a, actually a disorder that might be looked at. Yeah, you know, I always think that, uh, you know, Thomas Edison, I think, is the one who said sleep is a colossal waste of time. It's been a <laughs> long, long way, I think, to uh, trying to dispel that myth that, that actually – Sleep is part of taking good care of ourselves, uh, and and this is obviously most true, as you mentioned, in in kids and teens who are still growing, and their brains and bodies are still developing. They really need all of the uh, you know the restorative processes that happen uh, during good, healthy nighttime sleep. Yes, and I, I want to conclude with going backwards, where um, going backwards in time is uh, from aging to teens and now the babies, because I've often wondered, when you are a grandma, the first thing you hear from the new parents is, ah, slept like a dream, or this one's not a sleeper. So I wonder, is there a correlation between how you've slept when you're very young and how you might be in sleeping patterns when you're older? I did find that because I went to law school, and I went to law school very early in life, um, it was the days when if you had, if you could read, they threw you out of school because it was baby boomer time and there's no room. So most of us went to graduate school very early. And 
I didn't get enough sleep. There's no doubt. So I could fall asleep for a day after in, in exhaustion. But as an adult, I'm not like that. Uh, I don't know. Is there a correlation between our grandkids that most of my listeners have that are two years old or three years old and how they're sleeping and how they may uh, be adult sleepers? Well, I think about it a lot like nutrition. So the eating habits that you develop when you're very young do carry through into your adult life. It doesn't mean you can't change your eating habits, but that's sort of your tendency. So I I think that rather than um, seeing big biological differences where we could specifically point to uh, this child wasn't a good napper when they were an infant and they're not good sleepers when they're adults, We don't see that as much, but what we do see is that in family situations where sleep is not really emphasized as part of staying healthy, that those uh, those individuals, as they grow up and become adults, that they, you know, they sort of continue to think that way. Um, And, uh, you know, I think that some of the challenges with infant sleep is really, it's a normal part of development. I think it's very hard on parents, especially when parents have other obligations, either work or other kids, um, to try to take care of their own sleep. Um, But it's really important. And I think that when parents do the best that they can to take care of their own sleep when they have an infant or a toddler who is not a great sleeper, uh, as you said it and as I've heard it many times myself, it makes it a lot easier for parents to cope with that and come up with um, with a plan. So all of the healthy sleep habits that we talked about, having a regular schedule day-to-day, spending the right amount of time in bed, all of that applies even to very, very young children. Um, it does take a few months for a newborn baby to develop that internal clock or circadian rhythm. Uh, so, you know, kind of erratic sleep spread throughout the 24-hour day is what we expect for babies for the first few months of their lives. And then we really want to set up uh, habits and routines that encourage them to get most of their sleep at night um, with, you know, uh, naps during the day uh, in the early years as well. Um, but really, sleep is a family matter. Um, and when, when there's an infant in the house, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's really hard on the parents and sometimes the other siblings when the infant doesn't sleep well. Well, it certainly is, and I, I will end this by saying that my um, uh, son and daughter-in-law have a two-year-old, and, of course, they are both working, and they're both working from home, and the daycare center is closed, and it is California. Uh, so you put it all together, and you see that everybody has stress on their minds, regardless of age and situation. So I thank you so much, Dr. Martin, for this, and I'm just going to let you wrap it up one more time with that website because that's a place to go for further education and further focus on sleep. What is our website that's going to educate us? So the the website that we have been talking about is sleepeducation.org. It's a resource provided by the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. And I thank you all for listening, and as I say every single week, I always say get out there, kids, and make it happen. Recently I've been saying get in there, kids, and make it happen. But make it happen. See you next week. I'm inappropriate.